Good evening, everybody. Good to see you tonight. Have you back in our air-conditioned auditorium. Good to be here with you tonight. I want to tell you a little story. I'd only been married for a few weeks, maybe even less than a week, when my husband, David, turned to me and he said, You know, honey, it doesn't really matter to me where you go, but it'd be really nice if you're going to leave, go somewhere that you write me a note or give me a call so that when I come home from work, I know where you are. I felt the noose tightening around my neck. I almost couldn't breathe for a minute, and I thought, oof, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to be married, and you have to let somebody know every minute where you are. They always have to know where you are, and, wow, this is going to be interesting. And the funny thing about this story is that David didn't really want me to share it with you because he thought if I shared that story with you that you would think that he was a control freak. And I saw the story completely differently because I thought that you would see that I was a control freak. And so you can be the judge of what you think about that story. But isn't it interesting that it's so natural for me and for you To believe that we need to do our own thing. Nobody else needs to tell us what to do. We want to do kind of what we feel like doing. We want to be in charge of our own lives. We want to be the boss, be in the driver's seat. And we have an idea what that means. And we're usually always, by default, thinking of ourselves first. Before that other person. Well, over the last two to four weeks, God has been teaching me some new things about what it means to submit to him as my heavenly father. He's teaching me what it means to submit not first to my husband, David, but first to God. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's a painful lesson for me to learn. I feel like God's been working on this for a long time. He's been at it my whole life, and I'm finally beginning to get it. Some things are finally beginning to sink in. You see, this idea of total surrender to God is not a popular idea, is it? Pastor and author Dallas Willard wrote, of all the spiritual disciplines None has been more abused than the discipline of submission. And that's why I'm coming tonight to preach this sermon with fear and trembling before you. I actually had a conversation with God in which I said, you know, dying to yourself is a concept. It's a great concept that I really believe in, but it doesn't make a very popular sermon topic. I'm not sure who wants to show up for that particular sermon. You know, it really wasn't much of a conversation with God because I felt that he was nudging me to go ahead and preach a sermon anyway. So my my next line of thinking was that I needed to let God know all of the ways people have actually been abused and misused as a result of an authority figure someone in a church or a situation where they actually twisted this concept of Christian submission. People had been hurt that way. And I felt like God was saying, that's 
gotten out of me, and the truth in my word sets us free. And then my last line of reasoning with God was that I reminded him that I am a woman. I guess he already knew that, but I did remind him of that. And I said, Lord, if I go ahead and say the word submission in church, then the people are going to expect that I'll preach a sermon about wives submitting to their husbands. And I have to tell you, God didn't seem at all worried about it. He didn't seem worried at all. So as I was reading God's word and I was studying this idea of submission, it boiled down to just this truth. Jesus says that dying to yourself is the only way to truly live. So I guess we can all go home now. There it is. Jesus says dying to yourself is the only way to truly live. So that's what I've been wanting to share with you tonight. Now, if this were the marketing pitch for a self-help book, it would probably never sell a copy. Die to Live by Jesus of Nazareth. I don't think there'd be a lot of interest. But that being said, there is a sweet surrender that comes in volunteering to give up our rights. A glorious freedom that is ours for the taking. And the good news is that this message of submission applies to each one of us, no matter where we're at in life, no matter who we are. See, you're not commanded to submit because you have people above you, because it's your religious duty, or because it's all you were taught to do. You are instructed to die to yourself, because that is the way of Jesus. The way of the cross, it is the only way to truly live. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is powerful. And sometimes the truth that we find in its pages makes us uncomfortable. But I thank you for making me uncomfortable, Lord. I thank you for so patiently teaching me what it means to submit to you, and I want to learn more. I pray for each one here tonight that their heart would be open, that their ears would be open, and that they would be ready to receive the truth from your word that you want them to hear tonight. And I thank you for your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your winsome way of drawing us to yourself. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles tonight to Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. We're going to start there. In Philippians, Paul is writing to his friends in the gospel in in Philippi, and it's in eastern Macedonia. It's a letter of friendship and exhortation. And if you would read farther in Philippians, you would find that Paul is eventually going to be addressing some people that are having some interpersonal problems. A couple of ladies in the church are not agreeing with one another. They're not submitting to one another. Their names are Euodia and Syntyche. They have kind of cool names. But basically, he's going to urge them to be more godlike in the way that they're relating to one another, to stop it, cut it out, cut the fighting out. We don't even know what it was about. And so in order to encourage them on in that pursuit, he's going to have to lay a framework and a groundwork for them. 
And that's going to come in the example of Christ Jesus. He's going to lay that down for them. And this, this epistle is designed to be read aloud to the congregation there. So the whole church would be listening in to hearing this. So let's listen in and look to verses 5 to 11 in Philippians 2. He says there that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right here in Philippians 2, Paul is destroying all the ideas that the members of this church had about what it means to be a leader or a ruler over someone. Because in that culture, the leaders or the rulers were constantly grasping and seizing for power. They were going to take it by force. And they were self-motivated, as we often are. So Paul's introducing the agenda of Jesus as the exact opposite of these other guys. And it's so hard to grasp this because it isn't the way things are done. It's not the way that the world works. So let's notice the progression in the passage. First, before anything else, Jesus was God. Before he was human. Make no mistake, Jesus was always God. And in this perfect equality with God, in this mysterious and beautiful relationship of God with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus displayed God to us, not by grasping or seizing for that power, but in a shocking reversal, he emptied himself. One scholar said that the real shock in all of this is that one who was himself God and never in the whole process of all of this stopped being God would humiliate himself by becoming man and dying on a cross. And if you pick up different Bible translations, they'll put this in a slightly different way. So this is some of the ways that they put it. One says he emptied himself. Another says he made himself of no reputation. And then another says he made himself nothing. So if there was any doubt about who Jesus is through God, Paul is going to set the record straight for us. This God is radically self-giving on behalf of others. He took the very nature of a servant, or to be honest with you, what it says right there is he became a slave. So look at Jesus 
And you'll glimpse his equality with God by noticing that he poured himself out as a slave on behalf of us. And all of this is going somewhere in this passage. It's going to a grand conclusion. Because first, as God, he was emptied. And second, as a human, he humbled himself. And if he wasn't low enough, in obedience, Jesus offered himself up for one of the most cruel forms of death that was known in the Jewish-Roman world, crucifixion. The Hebrew scriptures said that anyone who hung on the cross was cursed. And a Roman philosopher, Cicero, had this to say about the cross as a form of execution and torture in their society. He said, far be the very name of the cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, and the ears of Roman citizens. God himself became a slave on our behalf, a slave who died a slow and a torturous death. Jesus did this for us. He didn't have to. He chose submission. And Jesus says, dying to yourself is the only way to truly live. Well, scholars call it the revolutionary subordination of Jesus. Revolutionary. We give up our rights because he gave up his. And according to God's word in Hebrews 12, 2, he did it with joy. Joy. Imagine that. Let's take our Bibles again and turn to Mark 8. This is the second book in the New Testament, one of the Gospels where it tells of the life and the miracles and the death of Jesus. And in chapter 8, we see that Jesus has been performing many miracles. And it's about to become clear Jesus is not a victorious king who's going to rescue his people politically. He is the opposite of that. He is a suffering servant who submits himself as a slave. It's hard to grasp, isn't it? Frankly, the disciples just don't get it. And we see Peter speaking up in this chapter. Peter, the loud disciple, and Jesus puts him back in his place. So then Jesus turns and he addresses the crowd, not just the disciples, but the others who had gathered around him. So let's imagine we're we're in that crowd of eager people and we're thinking, wow, this guy is amazing. This prophet, this miracle worker, what will he say next? Mark 8, verses 34 through 35. And Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What? Perhaps this well-known statement of Jesus fell like a lead balloon to the ground as the people listened to what this prophet had to say. 
So following this miracle worker, following you then involves losing my life, taking up my cross. Well, it's not like no one knew what he was referring to because in the Roman society, when the Romans decided to execute a man for a crime, he would take up his own wooden cross and he would carry it to the place where he, they would crucify him. Take up your cross and follow you and lose my life to find my life again. It wasn't a creative word picture. It was a terrifying thought. To bear the cross means to accept the rejection of the world for turning to Jesus and following him. Discipleship or becoming like Jesus involves a death that is like a crucifixion. So these weren't, this wasn't just a clever word picture. In fact, when the disciples carried on the ministry after Jesus died, rose again, and went back to heaven, 11 of the 12 disciples would actually, indeed, lose their lives for following him. And Peter, remember the loud one? He would be crucified upside down because he insisted on not being crucified just as his Savior was. So when he said to take up your cross and lose your life and follow me, he wasn't kidding. They would give their lives for a cause that was worth dying for. And in the process, Jesus said, they will gain their lives back. So listen up, church. And I'm also preaching to myself right now. What about you? Have you taken up your cross? Jesus is not asking less of you than he was asking of any of his disciples. He wants you to experience this sweet surrender when we fully submit to him. There's freedom. And we find true freedom when this happens. You see, when God says, empty yourself so I can fill you, he's talking to you, not just your neighbor or your spouse. And when he says, you be a servant, he doesn't mean go around performing acts of service. He actually means that you will pour your life out in service, that you will empty yourself. And when he says die, he means he wants all of you, as if you were being crucified. And when he says your life will be saved, if you spend it for his sake, he is serious about that. He's still serious. See, there's not an alternative Christianity that we get to choose from. It's not like there's a smorgasbord of options at our disposal and we pick the one that we think is right. Jesus says that dying to self is the only way to truly live. Well, I volunteer in a beautiful program called the Hope House Program. 
I think some of you know that. You've heard me talk about it before. And time after time, I'm working with women in recovery from chemical addictions. And they talk to me a lot about surrendering and turning over their will to God. Step three in this 12-step Alcoholics Anonymous program, it says, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And so these recovering addicts, they preach me a sermon on a regular basis. They say things like this. They say, I finally let go of my need to control my life and my addiction. I'm letting God have all of it. I'm praying morning, noon, and night. And to be honest with you, I've never felt more joy or more freedom. That's really a beautiful thing to watch. It's a neat thing to observe. But what can be embarrassing and sometimes frustrating is that while Alcoholics Anonymous is teaching people to submit their entire will to God, sometimes the church is worrying about everything but crucifying themselves so that they can live in a moment-by-moment submission to God and his purposes. Talking to myself as well, the Lord is teaching me a lot about what it means to submit to him. You see, Jesus hasn't given up on anyone. He hasn't given up on his church. He's still telling us that dying to yourself is the only way to truly live. Now, let me give you a visual. I use this visual a lot in counseling and at the Hope House and in different situations. Can you all hold your hands out like this? Clench your fists if you can like this. You'll notice that your fingernails are digging into your hands. It's not in an extremely comfortable position to hold for a long period of time, but this is symbolizing our, the control in our lives. We will dig those fingernails in and we will manipulate and control. That's our default response until we learn to submit, open your hands up to God. Now, when we have our hands in this position, can you feel the freedom that this brings? We are no longer grasping and seizing for control, but we have our hands open to receive God's love for us first and then to receive what he has for us in any moment of any day, what he's calling us to do. And this is the way I want to be. This is the way Jesus is teaching me to be so I can live in a life, a life of submission to him. So the question tonight is, what does all this mean to you and to me? What does it look like and what does it mean to be all in and to be totally surrendered? Where I'm living the Jesus agenda instead of the Susie agenda. And I allow him to do his work inside of me. Well, I think it boils down to this. See, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are commanded to live a life of submission because Jesus lived a life of submission, not because we're in a particular place or station in life. So let me ask you to consider for a moment the example of Jesus. First of all, we know and we see that he submitted to his heavenly father. He had his priorities in order, didn't he? When the disciples wondered where Jesus was and they're like, what happened to him? Where did he go? It was a good bet that Jesus had gone 
away to a lonely place, maybe on a mountain, to pray. See, he was constantly being filled up with the knowledge of God, and I believe that God was actually scheduling and directing his day through those quiet times with his heavenly Father. So he was living in the moment, and he was submitting to God's purposes for him, and he would go wherever he was being led. See, his happiness was not dependent on getting what he wanted. Say that one more time. His happiness was not dependent on getting what he wanted. And that brings me to the second thing that we notice about the example of Jesus. He also submitted to others. As God the Father flowed through him, Jesus submitted to others around him, and he placed their needs above his own needs. He healed the woman, the woman with the issue of blood when she touched his garment. He cast out demons. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see, and as for the hungry, he fed them both physically and spiritually. Jesus said that great leadership was found in becoming the servant of all. The creator of the universe washed his disciples' feet, and after he was done washing their feet, he said, I did this for you, now you you go do that. You do the same thing for other people. Recently, I was meeting with an individual who is really struggling, hurting and, and having a hard time believing that God actually loves her because she's been hurt by other people. They haven't loved her well, and so she internalizes this, and she thinks, God doesn't love me. And my heart just kind of went out to her, and, and I asked her to do this thing that I asked you to do. Just a couple of minutes ago, you know, you clench your fist, and this is me grasping for control, but if I will open my arms to God and receive his love and submit to him, then I can experience freedom. And you know what she said? She said, I can't even open my hands. My hands are clenched, and furthermore, my arms are crossed. And I can't receive the love of God. She wasn't ready to live with her hands out and her heart open yet. So if you're that person tonight, Someone maybe has hurt or abused you in some way. I want you to understand that God himself is your defender. And he is the writer of wrongs and his heart aches on behalf of his hurting children. See, submitting to God for that person is being willing to being willing to discover what it means to allow God to love you and to lead you into peace. And freedom. And he will be faithful to do that. I've seen it time and time again. And maybe you're at a different point in your journey with the Lord, a different place in your walk with Christ, and you're starting to realize that you need to get up in the morning and begin to ask God, what assignment do you have for me today? How can I wash someone else's feet today? How can I share the truth and the freedom of the gospel? 
How can I feed the hungry? And your day will be transformed and your heart will be ready to defer to others and to serve them. And your feet will be ready to bring the good news of the gospel to a world that is hurting. Well, I want to share with you what it looks like for me right now because I told you that God has been teaching me so much about what it means to submit to him. In the morning, I go into the living room and I sit down on our little red couch and I put my hands out like this. And I begin to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I ask God to help me to know how I can make his kingdom come on earth today as it is in heaven. What an adventure. Got to tell you that he's faithful to show me if I open myself up to him and I submit to him. He's always faithful to show me. See, this idea of submitting to God, it brings a lot of small acts of dying to ourselves, of being inconvenienced so we can serve others, of joyfully loving those prickly people in our lives, being willing to do anything if our Heavenly Father asks us to. You see, He loves us so much He would never ask us to do anything that would not be for our good or that would be contrary to his word. So remember that story I told you about David and he wanted to know where I was and didn't want to tell him, didn't want to be responsible, felt like I couldn't breathe. Well, before long, I realized that deferring to David was a get-to and not a have-to. Does that make sense to you? See, I became so thankful for his presence in my life and his care that I was happy to let him know where I was. Not a big deal. He showed me the way in doing things for me that were sometimes inconvenient for him, but they did bring me great joy. And then I started to defer to him and look for ways that I could serve him. And I, I know you won't believe this, but I even started folding his T-shirts army style. took about a month to learn that. Still doing it. <laughs> so I was watching for things that could make his life a little bit easier. I wanted to celebrate the joy that David had brought into my life. Jesus, who was God himself, cared so much for you that he emptied himself. When you didn't know him, maybe you wanted nothing to do with him, he had his eye on you. See, he wanted you, and he proved it by dying for you. Tonight we were reminded from God's word that we can live a life of submission, dying to ourselves, because Jesus did it first. It's only fitting to submit yourself to the one who submitted himself for you, becoming a slave in order to set you free. And more than a have to, this submission is a get to. 
the beginning of a freedom you have to experience for yourself to appreciate. Jesus says, dying to yourself is the only way to truly live. As you're sitting in your chair tonight, I have an invitation for you. If you're comfortable, I'd like to ask you to open your hands, close your eyes. Edgar's going to play for a few minutes while we examine our hearts before God. What is it that your Heavenly Father, the one who poured himself out on your behalf, is asking you to submit tonight? Maybe you haven't taken the first step of submitting to him and saying, thank you for dying for me. Come into my life. Lord, I want you to take over. I don't want it to be me anymore. Maybe there's some pain that is hindering you from receiving his love. And you open your hands tonight and you pray. Abba, Father, I want to let go of the pain. I want your love to flow through me. Sometimes God asks us hard things. Sometimes he asks us to submit our bank account or our job or our free time. He may even be asking someone to submit their need to always be right. Maybe it is your future. your singleness or your marriage. Maybe it's an area of ministry and maybe it's even your church. Die to yourself, your Savior says, and you will truly live. Submission is not legalism. It's not doing a set of things that make you right in God's eyes. It is a loving response to a Savior who emptied, humbled, poured himself out as a slave on your behalf. He first loved you. So tonight the altar at the front is open. And you are invited to kneel if you feel led to do so. See, there's something about opening our hands like this or kneeling in our posture of surrender before God. It mirrors the submission in our own hearts. If you want to do that tonight, you have an opportunity.